0: And today we're talking about God uh, gives us a guarantee. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're talking about a couple of guarantees that God makes. Now, not all guarantees are the same. One of the things you can guarantee is when you come to church here, every week the music is really good. It's amazing to me. Uh, Cam killed it today, and then when it's Chris, it's great, and when it's Haley, it's great, and when it's Liz, it's great. And every week it's somebody different leading, but it's always really, really good. So uh, Chris does a great job of, of organizing and all that, and it's just really always solid, and I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah, they do a great job. <clears throat> Preaching's hit or miss, but the, uh, the music is always good, so you got to like that. Um, guarantees aren't always um, built the same. They don't always work out. Uh, there was a guy named Russell Seeley who got fired from his job. He worked for the Postal Service in Britain. It's called Consignia. And they fired him, and he thought he didn't get treated fairly, and so he filed a um, a claim about, hey, I needed a a different, or I need to get another, uh, he appealed, basically, his firing. Uh, A wrongful termination suit is what he filed. And he was rejected on his termination suit because, not because of the merits of the case particularly, but um, because... He had mailed his paperwork in using Consignia, and he had paid extra because there was a guarantee that if you paid extra, it would be delivered in one day, and it was delivered in three days. And so it's kind of funny and ironic that uh, the very company that fired him then (laughs) caused him to stay fired because they didn't do what they said they were going to do. There are guarantees on products all over the place. Uh, There are guarantees to make you look thinner, increase your love life, make you smarter, there's one I read this week that uh, promises thicker, fuller hair in just one week, which some of y'all need that. I mean, really, it's uh, thicker, fuller hair. But then if you read the fine print, the fine print says uh, versus unwashed hair. So your washed hair is going to be fluffier than your matted down, greasy hair. That's kind of the, the guarantee. And one more, one more guarantee. I don't know if you know this, but there's a lifetime guarantee on pacemakers. Did you know that? Think about it just for a second. <clears throat> it's really kind of funny. Okay, all right. So, God makes a guarantee. He makes many of them, but let's look at one particular one because this is really good. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Everything we need. If living a godly life is your goal, and it probably should be if you follow Jesus, then God gives us everything we need. He has given us everything. There are tools that you need. And here's the deal. If I ask you to build something, but I don't give you the tools. If I said, hey, rebuild my engine in my car, but I don't give you the parts and I don't, you don't have the tools, that's really not fair. Or if I said, hey, bake me some bread. Would you bake me some bread, but I don't give you flour or whatever it takes to bake bread. I don't bake bread. But um, it is flour, right? See, y'all don't bake bread either. Okay, flour and eggs and whatever it takes and yeast. And if I don't give you the stuff or I don't give you an oven, it's not fair. And what I like about this is God guarantees that he's given us what we need to live a godly life. I mean, what else could you hope for that that he gives you everything you need? Now, here's the catch. (laughs) There's always a catch, right? Some assembly is required. Has anybody ever shopped Ikea? Anybody, Ikea? Uh, Ikea is Swedish for stupid people shop here. Uh, that, you didn't know that. It's true. Um, Ikea, nothing is built. Everything, basically, um, you could buy an entertainment center and it's in a box this big. I, I mean, I don't know how they do it, but they stuff it in there. And, and on the outside, it'll say some assembly required. And you take it home and, and um, you have to put it together. Now, they are smart enough to not write any di- directions, They just have pictures. (laughs) They they think we're all illiterate, uh, evidently. And so there are pictures. And the beautiful thing is they're pretty good pictures. So you can kind of figure it out. And and A goes with B, and you do this little screw thing. And some assembly is required. And here's what I found with those IKEA things. And the reason I know that stupid people shop there is because (laughs) most of the time it's us, uh, my family. We bought things there before. And what's amazing to me is I don't know how they get it all in that little box, but everything's there. I've never, had a, I've never had it where it wasn't all there. And in this particular case, when God says He's given us everything we need, He's saying, hey, I'm going to supply the parts, but you have to do the work. I, I'm going to give you what you need to make it happen, but you're going to have to make it happen. I'm going to provide you the tools. I'm going to give you the stuff. Everything's in the box. But you still have to make an effort that's kind of the whole point. When I recently uh, had knee surgery in July, and, and when you have knee surgery, I, I like to walk. Kind of my exercise of choice is walking. Well, walking isn't really good on a on a banged up knee, bummed up knee. And so um, I purchased a rowing machine because it's really good. It's good aerobics. It's good kind of good cardio. Um And it's low impact on your knee. There's a reason. I mean, there's a strategy behind that. It's like, okay, I'm going to get... And I bought kind of a a nicer one. And it has a screen. And so you can row with the people on the screen. So last week, I rode in Ireland, in Zambia, and in Brazil. You want to know what the difference is? Nothing. Uh, Every screen looks just like this. I could have... I could. Printed this and taped it on there and saved a couple hundred dollars. I mean, this is all it looks like. Evidently, the rowing is all the same everywhere because this is, this is your view. Oh, there's water. I mean, that's all you see. Okay, so here's the point. That machine does me no good if I don't use it, right? I mean, it's great. It's a great workout. It's, uh, uh, it's good for your health. It's good for your heart. It is a great machine to own, but it only is effective if you use it. I've got to use it. It's going to be effective in my life. Okay, well, so God gives us everything we need for godly living, but we have to do something with it. He's giving us the tool. He has, he's unboxed it for us, but we've got to do something with it. Now, I'm going to read what he says. Hey, here are some things you need to develop, and here's what it's going to seem like, and I apologize in advance, and let me just give you a, hey, you know, take a deep breath speech. Have you ever gone to the movie and you had to sit on the front row and like the screen is this big and it's just too much? I hate that. Okay, I'm going to read these next two verses and you're going to go, it's just too much. Well, it's not. It really isn't. And God has guaranteed us you can do this. You can do it. I'm giving you everything you need for a godly living. But I'm also, this is doable. Understand, this is doable. So, we're going to read it, I'm going to read it slow, and there are seven things here, and kind of faith is important, and I'm going to read it, and we're gonna you're, you're going to be tempted to say, it's just too much, I'm on the front row. It's not too much. And I'll explain what each of these means, and how you can develop, you can do this. Let me be your coach today, you can do this. This is not beyond you. Um, now, sometimes you go to those places. Like if you go to Lowe's and you buy something, uh, sometimes it'll say some assembly required, and they will put it together for you. Maybe you don't have time, or you're not mechanically inclined. You can't do it. You just just can't do it, or you're just lazy. I mean, whatever. But in this case, understand, you can do this. This is doable. So let's look at a couple of verses. Don't be overwhelmed. I'll explain them. I promise. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith. Supplement. You have faith, and you want more than that. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And to moral excellence, supplement that with knowledge. And to knowledge, supplement that with self-control. And to self-control, supplement that with patient endurance. And to patient endurance, supplement that with godliness. And godliness, supplement that with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection, supplement that with love for everyone, And you can see like, oh man, it's just too much. Well, okay, let's just start at the beginning. Because I, I promise we'll walk through it and it won't be too overwhelming. But you have to have, you supplement faith. You have to begin with faith. Faith is the absolute starting point. And you have to own it to build it. Uh, I can't go into Ikea and break open the box and start putting it together. Because I don't own it yet. But once I have faith... Once I have faith in Jesus, then these things can grow in my life. Um, I have a Subaru vehicle, and um, uh, it has a warranty. I'm sure I haven't really looked into it too much. But I know Hyundai has a great warranty. 100,000 miles, 10 years, it's really a good warranty. Now, what would happen if I took my Subaru to the Hyundai dealership up on, on Wade Hampton and said, hey, I really like your guarantee. I'd like to apply your guarantee to my car. I know I didn't buy it here, and I know it's not your brand, but I'd like you to fix this under your guarantee. What would they say to me? Go away. Uh, That's all they would say. Or they would say, would you like to buy a Hyundai? Because that's really why we're here. Um, I don't get the guarantee of somebody else because I don't own that product. Okay. Faith is the starting point. I supplement my faith. That's the starting point. Now, look at verse 8. The more you grow like this, this is guarantee number two. The more you grow like this in these things we just talked about, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The more you do those seven things, the more your faith grows, the more you uh, connect with God, and the more you're able to benefit the kingdom uh, of Christ. Really a good promise. He promises to give us the stuff to make us godly, and when we become godly, we're more beneficial to the kingdom. That's kind the of whole, the whole text wrapped up in two sentences. Now, you might say, well, that was a lot of stuff. Well, it is a lot of stuff. And, and you're probably not going to do all great at once at the beginning. It's a lot like golf. I'm not a golfer, but I've got some golfing buddies, and they'll tell me you, they, they like to play because... Um, sometimes their short game is good and they'll be putting and they'll be chipping and they'll be great, but they can't drive worth a hoot. They're they're hooking it or slicing it or whatever. But, but then sometimes they're driving it like Tiger Woods, but their short game is off. And, and and so I asked a guy one time, I said, why do you even play this stupid game? It's dumb, because you're never any good at it. And he said, I know, but sometimes I do all of it right. And when I do all of it right, it's just amazing. And And I want to get to where I can do all of it right. And and I think if we look at it like it's a challenge, hey, these seven things, I might not be great at them yet, but if I get better at them, it's really going to be great. It's really going to be good for the kingdom. If I can look at it that way, then I can I can say, okay, this is something that I want to strive for. So the first one is moral excellence. That is practicing what you preach. Practicing Watch you preach. It reminds me of the girl, She, uh, uh, this lady had gotten to work and she was lamenting how bad her drive-in was that day and and she said, man, men drivers are horrible. They're just horrible. Uh, she said, I was driving, we're, we're going down the interstate and, and I look over and this guy's going 70 miles an hour. He's passing me, he's going 70 miles an hour and he's got his electric shaver and he's up in the rear view mirror shaving. She said... Uh, next thing I know, he's drifted into my lane and I dropped my eye or pencil into my coffee. And so uh, so um, you, have to, you have to remember that um, this is about practicing what you preach. And by the way, moral excellence is kind of uncommon. It really is. Uh, we don't really say about people, man, they're really morally excellent. As a preacher, I talk to lots of people. It's just kind of part of the, what you do as a preacher. And I've had conversations with folks and they'll say something like... Um, He's really good deep down. He's a good person deep down inside. And that usually follows or it follows this sentence. Well, I know he likes to drink and fight and cheat on his wife and gamble away his money and not pay his bills. But deep down inside, he's a good person. And my, my question always internally, I never... You don't have to say everything you think that's really important. But inside, I'm going, well, how deep do you have to go? I mean, really... Um, <laughs> you got to drill a while, uh, is what I'm thinking, because that does not surface a good, good moral character. All right, so, moral excellence is practicing what you preach. There's an author by the name of Donald Miller, and he had a friend who was a mentor of his named John uh, McMurray. And Miller tells this story. By the way, the only book I ever read, I think, of Donald Miller, I read two. Blue, Blue like Jazz is the one I remember. I don't remember the other one. Uh, it was good. But Miller writes about a time where he was talking to McMurray about a, a cell phone issue and he he told his friend, "Hey, I've gotten this new I got a brand new cell phone for free." And his friend asked him, "Well, how did you get it for free?" He said, "Well, my cell phone broke and so I took it to the store, AT&T or Verizon or wherever, I don't remember where it was. I took it to the store and they asked me, um, how old it was and their computers were kind of down and, or they had changed over and they didn't have a record of, of when I bought this phone. And there was a one-year warranty on it. And so if it had worked within the year, if it had broken within the year, then I would get something new. But if it was longer, he said, I knew it was longer. But the way the guy asked me the question was, uh, do you know when you purchased the phone? And so the truth was, I couldn't remember the exact hour or day and so I said, I don't remember exactly when I bought the phone. It's true. It's just not truth. It's technically true. He didn't remember exactly, but he knew it was more than a year old. And the guy said, well, okay, if you don't remember, we don't know, so we're going to give you a new phone. So he told, him, he told his friend this story. Hey, I got a new phone because basically I worked the system. And his friend reminded him, he said, have you ever seen, by the way, have you ever seen the movie uh, Family Man? It's kind of a Christmas movie, Nicolas Cage? Okay. In this movie, Nicolas Cage is this, I mean, he is a go-getter, uh, high roller, um, uh, entrep- uh, not entrepreneur, but a financier, kind of lots of money, lots of power, uh, b- the finest things in life. And he has visited, it's sort of like one of those, it's, it's a little bit of a play on Scrooge, a little bit. He's visited by an angel who puts him in a different life. Shows him what it would be to be different than that and like having a family and, and the, the beauty of, of that life. Anyway, this, um, this angel kind of appears at several different scenes. And in this one scene, he appears as a cashier at a convenience store. And Nicholas Cage is waiting in line and having a conversation with him. And there's a little girl, young lady in front of him. And she pays for something that costs less than a dollar and she gives him a dollar And this angelic cashier, he gives her back change as if she had paid with a 10. So he counts out the money, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 3 cents. And the way she looks at the money, she knows she's been given too much change. And she stuffs it in her pocket and she begins to walk out the door. And as she's about to leave, she turns around and the angel sort of gives her a second chance. And he says, "Uh, is there anything else? And she says no, and she walks out. And his commentary, the angelic clerk's commentary to Nicolas Cage's character is, she just sold her character for $9. It took $9 for her to sell her character. And that was the story that that uh, uh, that um, Dennis, Donald Miller's uh, friend was telling him. And, and And Miller said, are you saying that I sold my character for the price of a phone and his this is where you need real good friends because his real good friend said yeah i do i do think you sold your character for the price of a phone and then he makes the point he said the bible talks about something called a calloused heart we develop a calloused heart and that means we we sin in certain areas to the point where we stop feeling like we've done something wrong we stop recognizing sin for sin and he said, Donald, if you keep this up, you're going to not know the difference between right and wrong because you're developing a calloused heart. And Miller writes about this and he says he went back to the, to the uh, phone store the next day and paid for the phone. And he said, I bought my character back. Usually this attacks us in the area of where it costs our, us uh, in our pocketbook. Uh, we'll be tempted to, we'll tell the truth but not the whole truth. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll not, we're selling a product and we won't tell everything we know. Um, I, I sold a car the other day and the guy, I think I told you the story, but the guy came up and I said, right, before we start, let me show you everything that's wrong with it. And this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. And I showed him about seven things. Hey, these are the things. And I said, look, I, I know these things are wrong. There, there may be more things that are wrong, but this is what I know. I don't know what I don't know, but this is what I do know. And he bought the car. He said, I'm going to buy this because nobody's ever told me everything. So I'm telling you everything. It's everything I know. It's uncommon. Now, just quickly, moral excellence doesn't get you into heaven. It doesn't save you. The Bible tells us in this verse, salvation is not a reward for good things we've done. Too many people think there's a scale And if I do more good things than bad things, all the good things are over here. If I do more good things than bad things, God has to let me in. When I die, God is going to say, well, let's weigh it out. Well, you know, you did this bad thing, but you did these good things, so you're okay, you're good to go. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to do more good things than bad things in order to get into heaven. The Bible does tell us explicitly uh, we become followers of Jesus. The way to get into heaven... It's through Christ, in Christ alone, Jesus says, "No one comes to the Father except through me." He, do, he doesn't say, "No one comes to the Father except through doing a lot of good stuff." And you, your scale, it could be, you could be weighted. You could be the goodest, good guy ever. And if you don't have Jesus forgiving your sins and leading your life, then you're not getting in. So it's not moral excellence to the point where, "Hey, I'm doing this because I want God to forgive me. You're doing it because you become a new person. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And so you do that by looking for opportunities. You hear people say sometimes, I've done my good deed for the day. Well, that's great. But what if you had five opportunities to do good deeds for the day? What if you had opportunities to tell the truth, the whole truth? Nothing but the truth. What if you had opportunities to serve somebody? What if you have opportunities you probably do every day to to make a difference, to encourage? See, that's moral excellence. I'm going to do the right thing every time because it's the right thing and I have an opportunity to do it every time. The second thing is knowledge. And you would expect, this is biblical knowledge, you expect a preacher every time you come to church to tell you to read your Bible. And I'm going to tell you, this is about reading your Bible. Now, for me, the way I do it, the only way I've ever found that works for me is I have to schedule it. Because if I don't schedule it, I don't do it. I get up in the morning. I have to take. I get to take. Have to take. I have to take at to school. Uh, I get to take a lease to school. Uh, we leave at ten minutes until eight, so I get up about six thirty, and that's when I read my Bible. I read my Bible. Uh, I have a one year Bible. I have it in hard print. I used to try to do this online, and I just really get lost. I, I'm just not. I can't do that. So I need. I need something physical. I have a physical book. It has a little stringy thing like this It keeps the date for me. I like the one-year Bible because it's broken up into 365 days. Um, that's where they got the name. Uh, one-year Bible, um, 365 days, and there's an Old Testament passage, a New Testament passage, uh, a psalm, and, and a proverb. I, I like that because that, I've done that for years, and that helps me, and I read my Bible that way. It takes me about 15 minutes. I get my coffee. I sit down with my Bible. I always have a little notepad because here's what's hap- is what happens to me when I read my Bible. I think of everything else in the world. I don't know if anybody else is like that. That's me. And so I'll think, I'm reading the Bible, you know, I'm reading about Jesus, and all of a sudden, uh, Jesus, oh, Jesus um, fed the 5,000. I've got 5,000 things to do. Uh, and So I'm, I'm writing stuff down. But, but what I do is if I write it down, then I don't have to think about it anymore, and I can get back to reading my Bible. So I'll think, you know, I need to um, empty the dishwasher, or I need to call John this week, or I need to, you know, do this. And I'll write that down because that helps me. If I don't write it down, I'm thinking about that while I'm trying to read my Bible. I, it kind of flushes it out of my mind. My, my mind. All right, so knowledge is about reading your Bible. You've got to have a plan. The third thing is self-control. And I think it's interesting that it immediately follows knowledge, biblical knowledge. When I read my Bible, I know what to say no to. I know what to say yes to. Mostly, self-control is about knowing what to say no to and knowing what to say yes to. When I know my Bible, it helps me. And we're entering a season where there are advertisements telling you that you need to purchase things. Have you seen those? The reason they started advertising for Christmas now is because the season between Thanksgiving and Christmas is shorter this year because Thanksgiving is later in the month. This is the excuse they're giving. And so right now, you can, they, there are advertisements about everything. Cars with big red bows. You need to buy one of those. In fact, there's one commercial where you need to buy two of those. Um, uh, you need to get you uh, some Sauvage. It's a cologne for men. It's advertised by Johnny Depp, who's from Kentucky, so it must be good. Um, the, they tell you that diamonds are forever, that every kiss begins with K, that you can't buy everything. Money can't buy everything, but for everything else, there's MasterCard. I mean, you over and over, there's somebody telling you something that you need. You need a new this. You need a new that. They'll put it on credit. You can have 8,000 months to pay for it. I mean, it's just you got to have more stuff. You need more stuff. Now, Just a silly little question. If you bought everything they said you needed to buy, what is that called? It's called bankruptcy. Uh, That's what that's called. Because nobody can afford all that stuff. I don't need everything. I just don't need it. So, I have to have the ability, and you have it. You say no to stuff all the time. You really do. You don't buy everything you see. You just don't. So, There's a connection between financial stability and the ability to say no. I've got to learn to say no to buying stuff. All right. And there's a connection between holiness and the ability to say no. Coaches talk about this all the time with their athletes. You, you're a coach and you have an athlete, and an athlete has to learn to say no to certain things. I'm going to say no to uh, you know, sleeping in late. I'm going to say yes to getting up and working out. Uh, I'm going to say yes to going to bed early. I'm going to say no to the all-you-can-eat buffet. I'm going to say yes to eating healthy because that's going to build up my body. I'm going to say no to only doing five reps when I know I can do ten reps. And one coach calls this conquering yourself. It's great language. You've got to learn to conquer yourself. That's simply learning to say yes to certain things and no to certain things. And we do it all the time. And we could do better at it. That's why he's saying, hey, you've got to learn some self-control each and every day. You, you, what do we control? I control my mouth. I don't say everything I think. Daddy used to say, you can think it, you don't have to say it. You don't have to say everything you think. That applies to Twitter. That applies to Facebook. That applies to face-to-face. You don't have to say everything you think. You don't have to do everything you want to do. You don't have to buy everything you see. You don't have to go everywhere you think you want to go. You don't have to look at everything somebody might want you to look at. You say no to certain things. That's self-control. Now, patience endurance is, that's when it gets tough. Am I going to stick with it? I I like the way I think about this this way. Self-control has to do with the pleasures of life. Patient endurance has to do with the pressures of life. When, when I get squeezed, what comes out? When, when I get in trouble, when it gets difficult, what do I do? I, re- I read an interesting story about Glenda and Robert Lennon. They had gone fishing in Florida on, in a boat. They were four miles out. And Glenda decides to jump into the water for a swim. Quick aside, how insane do you have to be to be four miles out and want to go swimming in the ocean where there are sharks... Duck-billed platypuses that will eat you up with that big bill. Uh, There's those blobby jelly things. What are those called? Jellyfish, that's right. They have tentacles. Uh, They literally go 12 miles out. I mean, the little tentacles, they go everywhere. Why would you jump into that? Why why don't you just jump off a big building and say, I want to die? I I don't understand it. Anyway, she jumped in the water. That has nothing to do with the story, but uh, just a question I have. She jumps in the water, and she finds herself in a current, and she's floating away from the boat can you imagine how scary that would be you are swimming but you you're getting further away so she calls out for her husband Robert who is a great swimmer she's not as great he's really really good swims all the time he jumps in to swim after her and he finds himself also being pushed away with the current now this is this is bad I don't know if you realize that's really bad because the boat's over there and you're going that way and they make a plan. They kind of talk while they're out there in the water and and Robert's the better swimmer and he says I'm going to I'll swim back and I'll get the, to the boat and then I'll come get you. You just float. Don't try to swim, just float. It took him 6 hours to get back to the boat. By the time he gets there, it's dark. He gets on the boat, but he can't find her. He's afraid to run the motor out because he might run over her. He waits till uh, dawn. He calls in reinforcements. They have a search party, and miraculously, they find her. She's floated 20 miles away. And here's the point of the story. When you float, you never stay in the same place. If I'm a Christian, but I'm not growing, I'm floating the wrong direction. I'm going the wrong way. I'm getting further away from Christ. Because if I'm not working to be better, at following Jesus, I'm floating away from Him. Because that's just how it works. And this text is about, this is about what happens when it gets tough. And James says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way. The word when is really important in that verse. It doesn't say if, does it? It says when. That's kind of a guarantee too. When troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Most of us don't look at troubling times as an opportunity to grow. What we we think is, all right, I'm going to be a a follower of Jesus and He's going to take all my problems away. Well, there's nowhere in Scripture where it says, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus and all my problems are going to go away. In fact, when troubles come is what the Bible talks about. You've got somebody to walk with you through the troubles, but he's not taking them all away. What do you do when you're in the midst of difficulty? I heard an old expression, and I like it a lot, rough seas make skilled sailors. That's what this says. For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So, so we should be... I mean, the Bible says be thankful in all circumstances, not particularly for all circumstances, but be thankful in them because in the circumstance, I'm having the opportunity to grow. Godliness is about being in a right relationship with both God and others. This is, how how do I treat people? Do I treat people well? I heard a cute little story about... um, a mother who took her son, she was going to the doctor and uh, took her little son to the doctor to, to be with, she didn't have babysitting and so little boy's about three years old and he's sitting there with her and playing or coloring or whatever and, and while they're waiting this, this daughter, it was a probably a granddaughter, uh, rolls in an older man in a wheelchair and he, she parks him at the end and she goes and signs him in. He's kind of there all alone, nobody's talking to him and this little, this little kid sl- slips off his chair and walks over and and holds this little man's hand and, and he says, I know how you feel. My mama makes me ride in a roller, a, a, a stroller too sometimes. My mama makes me ride in a stroller too. That's It's called empathy. I feel for you. I feel with you. I, I feel what you feel. There are people who have difficult times all around us. And we can be sympathetic to them, and that's good, but we need to have empathy as well. We need to feel what they feel. Can I put myself in that person's shoes? That's what godliness is. Can I put myself in that person's shoes? Isn't that what Jesus did for us? He put on flesh so that he could know how we feel. Brotherly affection. The word literally is Philadelphia. You probably thought it meant uh, cheesesteak, but really it means brotherly affection. Um. We live in a society where we're becoming more and more isolated. And this is kind of talking about, hey, develop friendships with people. Um, if you're in a waiting room, uh, next time you're in a waiting room, let me observe something. See how many people are in that waiting room with you looking at their phone. Because we don't talk to each other anymore in a waiting room because we're just looking at a phone. You want to know how many people it is? Everybody. It's everybody. I don't care where you are. Uh, this, is, this is our life. It's funny to me. Uh, I was at the mall the other day, and you think this is like a kid problem. I, I saw at a table uh, some senior citizens, uh, and they all had their phones out. I mean, they're Facebooking their grandkids. I don't know, but uh, they're all doing. They're all on the phone. It, it is epidemic, and we don't have friends. We don't develop friendships, and so I, I strategically, I have three or four guys that I call once every two or three weeks. Just to keep up with them. Uh, my, my buddy Doug lives in Kentucky. Um, my buddy Will lives in, in Virginia. Uh, I, I talk to these guys because I want to be strategic in, in who I have relationships with. My, my friend Mike Wilson, who used to get me in a lot of trouble. Uh, Mike and I are still great friends, and I talk to him about every month. We kind of keep up with one another. I developed my friend Rodney, also in Kentucky. Uh, I talk to these guys because I want to have those relationships. You just have to make an effort you have to make an effort because we need each other. You, you'd know probably if you've been around long enough, this is a guy named Derek Redman. He was one of the fastest, maybe the fastest 400-meter runner uh, in the 92 Olympics. And he won the first round and he won the second round and he was in the third round, uh, semifinals, and he his hamstring tore, which sounds incredibly painful. He fell to the tarmac. The guys came out on a stretcher. He stood up and he was going to hop. He was going to finish. And he was in great pain. And this is his dad. His name was John. And John ran out there and helped him get to the finish line. Because we need each other. We need help. We need people to come along beside us. And so when, we talk, when he talks about brotherly affection, he's saying, hey, we need each other. Let me quickly end. The last thing he says is love for everyone. It makes sense he would end this way because Jesus said, By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And then Jesus said, The best way to do this is that in everything, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Treat people the way you want to be treated. And to close out the sermon, let me end with 2 Peter one nine. So he's saying, Hey, do these things and develop this character. And those who fail to develop in this way Short sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sin. H- have you ever been short sighted like you didn't consider where this was going to go? Well, last year, uh, I bought at least some basketball shoes. Um, you want to know how we pick a basketball shoe? <laughs> it's the one on sale. Uh, that's how we pick. Uh, we don't care what brand, we don't care what color. Is it on sale? That's the one we're going to get. We are just not picky. And so we found this super awesome deal on basketball shoes. And we bought them. And they're great. They're about three sizes too big. She looks like Bozo the Clown playing basketball. I swear, um, I don't know how she doesn't trip everybody. It's just unbelievable. And I don't know what I was thinking other than, this is cheap. Uh, uh, Sure, it's a men's size 14. But still, uh, it seems like it ought to fit. I bought these shoes thinking, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. And and I looked at her in them the other day, and I'm like, who bought those shoes for you? Like, are you a clown at the play at school? I mean, what is, what are you doing in those shoes? And she said, Daddy, you bought these um, last year. And I'm like, are you sure your mom didn't do that? Because I really don't want to take credit for that. Because they're they're as big as this table. They're horribly big. I don't know if I thought, well, she'll grow into them. She'd have to be 12 feet tall to grow into these shoes. It is unreal how big these shoes are. The worst shoes ever. I don't know why Miriam let me buy them. I really, I really, I don't know why she let me buy them. I do remember bringing them home and and Miriam saying, those look a little big. It's Like, no, they're perfect. Short-sighted, that's what that is. I did not consider that she's not going to fit into these, and this is stupid. So, we're getting here some new shoes, <laughs> cheap, of course, because uh, that's what we do. Now listen, when this says, those of you who fail to develop these things in your life, moral excellence and, and uh, self-control and those things, those who fail to develop those things are short-sighted. The, you're not thinking. You're not playing the movie forward. There's, there's, you're going somewhere with your life. Or at least you should be. It's not just about here and now. There's an eternity waiting for us. Developing these characters, this character in our life, it's about the future. It's not about today or what's cheapest or what's easiest. It's about the future. It's all about the future. Father, I thank you for this text and these words. Thank you for the challenge and and for the guarantee that we can do this. It's pretty awesome that we can do this. Lord, help us to be committed. Help us to be encouraged. Help us to be challenged to do the things you called us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.